Hey, thanks for joining Red Flag Poetry on this podcast. Sorry it's a little delayed. You're going to hear some things talking about December and January. This one got a little bit lost, but we're happy to share it with you finally, and we hope that you enjoy it. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe. Check out our website, redflagpoetry.com. Subscribe to our postcards. Let us know on our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Tumblr, what poets you'd like us to try to interview, and also maybe what topics you'd really like to hear. We want to hear from you, so make sure you let us know, redflagpoetry.com or at redflagpoetry. Thanks. Enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, this is Pete and Matt from Red Flag, and Wes Wes and Hank are both here too, but they're in another room working. Today we're sitting down with Ben Pitts, author of uh, Spared Parts from our home uh, postcard in December. Um, today we're going to talk about the relationship between the visual and the poetic um, in our postcards. And uh, uh, let's get started by, well, first saying thanks for joining us, Ben. I really appreciate it. And, um, thanks for having me. I know it's pretty early out there in Phoenix. so That's <laughs> fine. I'm up early anyway. <laughs> All right. So uh, why don't you go ahead and start by reading your poem for us, and then uh, we'll go from there. Spared parts. When the sun's pent in the trees, I see you at ten, prying off the bolts of your training wheels so you could careen down the street. The doctor said you'd never ride without them. When the moon's a sliver, I recall that dream I had where I unjoint my legs and hand them to you. Working nights in the hospital make you hobble. You smile and tell me you'd prefer my arms to push more beds down narrow halls. Awesome. So first, you know, uh, this is our this is our second podcast since we've retooled everything, and basically, as we come to this, let's open the conversation up with your opinion on the relationship between kind of visual and poetic in terms of poetry. You know, I saw on your background there you have uh, a rent sign already, so there's even in, in drama there's this relationship to the visual. So yeah. I, I think that that's something that maybe you could really pick up on. Yeah. So um, you know. Poetry, to me, is is one of the more visual forms of writing, because as a poet, all you have are, are images, right? So I think the best poems, at least the poems I like to read, have very strong visual images in them. And, I mean, you can communicate images with words um, very, very simply. Um, sometimes one word can communicate a really strong image, you know? Uh, like the word pent in my poem, I think, has a, a strong image on its own, and the nice thing about poetry is that although the poet may have like an image in their mind, the reader may see something completely different, which I really like. I think that's why I like poetry so much, is because it, it really allows for the reader to see things that maybe the poet didn't intend to, which is really cool. That's why I like it so much, I think. And I think it's very interesting that you say that you'd bring up that relationship, because with your poem in particular, when we got the art for your poem, uh, the the four of us, Sarah, our fourth member, couldn't couldn't join us. Or Sarah, our fifth member, couldn't join us today. Um, she, her, it was it was somebody that she knew and she had talked to, and you know, t- the artist saw something that we didn't in your poem in that that relationship. And um, I think that's very important to a lot of poetry. Uh, I think I should... that also wasn't the first photo that we got. We ended up not going with because. We saw something so different in the poem. Do you remember there which was, was no? Which there was, was a, there was a picture of a, a man holding a child on his um, shoulder, and he sent us that first. I do remember that. And we actually I don't I don't remember which of us, but 
I think that we we generally we said you know we just don't we don't see this in the poem in the same yeah. way that the, the the artist did, and then he sent us this, um, which we which we connected with a little more. But uh, do you remember that? Yeah. Matt? I don't remember that. I think all. I do remember it, but it was it was very. Who's a black-haired baby? Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, there's there's a man who was holding a child. Yeah, it was, just, it was it was a nice photo. It just it didn't really resonate with the poem mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for us anyway. Uh, but yeah, it, that would it was be really interesting. interesting. Wow. Huh. We were, you know, I was thinking that it becomes very interesting when it comes to not just the relationship between the language and the, the image of what you already said, but also the relationship to the image. And furthermore, like there's the the <clears throat> actual construction of the way the poem is shaped. Well, your poem is specifically just a block. You know, there are poets that mess with form and and sure. do all those things together too. But there's something about just the block form too. Yeah, no, I mean, there's something very very <coughs> strong about the block form <coughs> too. Um, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I think um, shape is really important with poetry, mm-hmm. and, and I think that really connects what you're talking about with the visual, too, because, you know, visual can mean a few things. Like, you know, there's spoken word poets where, like, you look at it, the, the structure, and it's like, okay, they didn't really care what it looked like on the page. They just kind of scribbled it down. But poetry, at least poetry I like to read and write, um, the shape should be really intentional, and it should, should mean something. I mean, not necessarily like E.E. E. Cummings, where it has to be like the shape of a snowflake or something like mm-hmm. that, but what I was going for, you know, I try to write um, as close as I can to the sonnet, because I, I feel like, you know, having having a turn is really important, but if I have a line break in my poem, it better mean something really strong, like, it, unless it's um, just kind of thrown in there randomly, because a lot of new poetry I've read, I don't feel like there's a lot of thought put into the line breaks, it's kind of done randomly, but... I feel that if there's a break in the in the structure, it should really mean something really important. So mm-hmm. with this poem, I, I wanted the, the structure to be sort of like a sonnet, I guess what I was going for. Right, and, and that, that aspect of the turn. I know that when my own poetry... I very uh, strongly advocate for like this the, the last two, two lines, not necessarily being a turn, but being... Um, a realization, yeah, and it's a sharp, way. yeah, a sharp realization yeah. that absolutely, you just it, that's what what lingers with the the reader. It's not necessarily the first yeah. the first few lines because that's what sets it up, but it's those last two lines. Uh, I agree. Yeah, I, the best poems start really strong and end really strong. I think the middle stuff is maybe for novelists and fiction writers. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you uh, consider yourself a form poet? So you you said you're drawn to the sonnet. And I mean, yeah. form in form and of itself is a kind of imagery, right? That you know, we yes. we follow these patterns, we follow these these things. Do you, do you consider yourself a form poet? I, I don't know. I mean, so when I write a poem, I I don't put any spaces at all. Um, and sometimes I've been criticized. Like I'll take my poems to read it to like workshops and stuff. And I think a lot of poets or readers are expecting a lot of spaces and stuff. Um, I found that if if the poem I'm writing has narrative qualities to it, it maybe makes sense to not have very many spaces. But if the poem I'm writing has like really strong imagery and I'm going for more like an images type thing, then maybe spaces make sense. But the, the main thing I think about is, is sound. I care a lot about sound and I care a lot about whether or not the poem has a shift or a turn. I care about that first and then like I, if there's ever a line break in my poem, it's usually after I've written it, not as yeah. I'm writing. It's I like always that. like when I go back. I'm the same you know, way. I'm like, 
Yeah, maybe I'll put a space here. Maybe that makes sense, you know? So I, I, I don't know if it's the main thing I think about, but sometimes when I go back, I'll try to put spaces maybe where maybe I didn't the first time I wrote it. It's words-worthy and almost. Yeah. So what does your what does your writing practice look like in those ways then? So do you do you notebook do you notebook and then and then come back or? You know, I wish I could say that I keep a notebook. I don't at all. I do it all on my phone. That's that's how I write all my poems. So you're not the first person that we've we've talked to that said that. So you know, don't. You know, there's a lot of purists that get upset. You know, putting your poetry in a machine. <laughs> I just feel like it's so accessible to me to just have my phone and just type some stuff on pages and then email it to myself. And then edit and stuff like that and like if I'm going to write it on paper it'll look different when I type it so I don't understand the point of handwriting it if I care about the structure of it you know because it's going to look different when I type it up so I, I do it all on my phone I have my phone out a lot anyway so to just pull up the pages and just maybe write a sentence or an image or something and then go back and kind of fill it in it's a lot easier for me to do it that way so I don't really notebook or anything. I've tried. It just doesn't really work for me. It's interesting because that is a conversation that we have with with a lot of a lot of the poets, you know. And, and it's yeah. it's what you know. What do you what do you do? And so there are some people who are like notebook notebook elitists. Um, yeah, that's, and, I get it, and I wish I could be like yeah. that. It just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. My handwriting's bad too. So yeah, that's that, that well, doesn't help. But carrying around an extra piece of stuff everywhere yeah, too. Yeah. yeah, and then can you fit yeah. it in your pocket? But I even I even know typewriter elitists. You know, I know people who only really? will compose poetry on certain typewriters under certain circumstances that's, and with certain beverages and cool, I guess. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Yeah. Ink's really expensive, so maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I never have a printer. I have to print everything in school, so maybe it makes sense to have it and just pull it out. I don't know. That feels a little bit weird to me. I don't know. I like to just... The thing is, like, if I have an idea, I need the quickest way possible so I don't forget. Spontaneous and airflow. The mm-hmm. best option for me is to just pull out my phone and type some stuff, you know? So, I, I don't know. I think that there's, I mean, there's even a relationship to, uh, some might say, at least I can see this, this idea of the visual within that in itself, too, right? So as Wes just kind of pointed out, there are, like, the typewriter elitist, there's the notebook yeah. elitist. I think there's a relationship to the visual when you see it in ink versus, um, uh, uh, like, written down. I mean, there's almost even a visual to the composition process, then. Right. They would rather be seen yeah. composing on a typewriter as opposed to composing right. on a phone. And That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and so. I mean, it's, it gets to this like meta kind of co- yeah. context of what poetry is, of course. But I also think people are wired differently. I mean, I think that like I can't I can't type on my phone, um, but I also I also can't do the notebook. I've tried. I can't. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very much like I need to be sitting down at at a computer um, and, and composing in that in that process and in that moment. Um, yeah, I mm-hmm. find that I write my best, like my finalized stuff and my best stuff when I'm when I'm typing on a computer, even the iPad, I type on there too. But uh, in terms of like, if I guess it makes sense if you're handwriting because you can cross stuff out. I know I have a friend that does that. They keep keeps a notebook and it's crossed out. The idea of not being married to something is maybe really important. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's still there. Like if you cross it out, it's still there. So it's the idea of deleting something on a computer, it's really gone. Like you right. can't get it back. Right. Know? I kind of like that. I like the idea that I can not be married to something and, and try something new every time. You know, I can get a new page, a fresh new page. I don't see the other side at all, and I can I can start new. So also when I when I'm writing a poem, I like to 
like, you know, when I write, I think in a sonnet usually, so I try to do the first four lines, and then I'll scroll down so I don't see them, so I can't see them at all. And then I'll just okay. do another four and keep scrolling up so they, they're not there. <laughs> and then try to connect them in some way. I find that really helpful. It would be it's hard really to do it in a notebook, so I, I, I like the, the digital stuff. It helps me a lot. It's interesting because Matt and I just look at looked at a couple of Pete's poems, and he had he had hard copies and had you know crossed things out, and I hadn't seen anything yeah. quite like that. And there was something there's something poetic in that visual itself. For sure. Yeah. Oh, with edits. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. your edits. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's palimpsestious, right? It's like it's this layered thing where you can actually you can see that process changing, and you can see you can see yeah. at what point that poet struggled. And, and but I don't have that either. You know, I I'm totally. I think there's also something that's interesting. I mean, to 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 print that with the edits. The, I mean, in studying literature, when you go to the the, the archives and you look at their original yeah. manuscripts, there's something that people are like, "That re- I really want to see this too." So there's something right. relation, to something visually poetic about that too. Absolutely. When you look at those yeah, edits, you know, if you look at like Emily Dickinson stuff, it's cool because she will like circle words and then right below them have three different alternate words that could be used in the poem. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty cool. You know, I mean, that can really only be done on paper, I guess, which, which is pretty, there's something to it probably. Well, yeah. I mean, there would be ways you could do that in yeah, like you, a digital humanities way. You could do it sure, digitally. Yes. I have a poem with a word, and then that word is a link, and then that word is a link, and you click on that word, and then it changes to it. Well, AJ did that. We a couple of months back, we did um, uh, a poem by AJ Schmitz in our Poetry Express, which was sixteen months back. Yeah, sixteen. It was the first Poetry Express poem. No, it wasn't. It was the second. Second. But where his particular poem was all footnotes. So oh, like cool. it was, it was very interactive in that way, mm-hmm. and there were yeah. links to YouTube videos, and they had that. So that's like, there's cool. there's a way to do that, um, cool. but I don't think we could do it easily on like Microsoft Word or Pages. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't yeah. think that that's gonna. It's like David Foster Wallace poetry, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Footnotes with footnotes. Yeah. But there's something yeah, romantic about that tangibility of paper, right? Where... Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so since we were talking about uh, poetry and the visual, I mean, are, are there visual artists? I mean, so I think most poets, poets have an appreciation for art too. But is there, you know, so how are how are you in the rest of the art world? You know, where do you where do you fall? What do you love? So you know, I was an actor for a while. Uh, I worked in theater, um, okay. and I I really loved I loved performing, um, but. I liked the dissection of the script. I liked the homework part more than the actual performing part. Um, so I would love studying the script. And I love getting on stage and stuff, but the actual um, study of the script I tend to like more. So I think that's why I sort of lean to writing, the poetry in particular. Um, I, I really, you know, I'm not a painter or anything, but, you know, I teach. So I always, when I teach a poem to my students, I'll always pull up a painting. I use a lot of voice. I love Goya a lot. I think mm-hmm. it's great. Um, and I I like any painting that has, like... Like, I don't like landscapes for some reason. They don't do anything for me. But I love paintings of people. I think mm-hmm. that I really enjoy that a lot. Um, you know, I, I don't say there's any specific, like, art movement that I'm drawn to, but I like any painting where there's a human being in it. I always think it's it's really cool. How do you... It's done well... How do you how do you pick the pick the art that you pair with the poem? So when you when you teach and you bring something up, how do you make that decision? Yeah. So, like when I I pay it depends on what I'm teaching for. Like if I teach a poem and I want my students to pay attention to something, for instance, like uh, when I teach um, what do I 
teach Edgar Allan Poe. I do a little bit of Poe. I'll choose, um, I want him to pay attention to mood and tone because it's kind of all he's good at. I mean, other stuff is interesting, but it's really the tone and the mood in those poems that are interesting. So, like, I'll send them home with a poem and they'll think about it. And then the next day I'll have them come in, I'll put up a painting, like a Goya painting, for instance, and talk about how the mood is similar to the painting and the poem. And we can discuss how the mood is created. Like, you know, um, a lot of the similarities with with the painting is like color choice, right? Color can create mood, but we don't have colors with poetry. All we have are words. But words have color to them, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. have a certain tone that can be created. So, like, the poet, I think, thinks similar to the way a painter would with con- choosing color and shadows and that kind of thing. Um, a poet would think about the same thing just with words or with the shape of the poem as well can do that. So I try to consider uh, similarities among tone and, and mood um, and sometimes theme as well. I mean, you can discuss that. Like sometimes the meaning can be created in different ways when you're talking about a painting or a poem. So uh, that's that's kind of how I go about it. It's, it's interesting that you bring up Poe because that's actually Wes's uh, focus of his yeah. dissertation. He's a, he's oh, that's cool. He's wow. a Poe scholar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If nice. one can be a Poe scholar. One, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's also interesting because our um, so Red Flag's biggest project right now has been um, a book project called The Lover's Phrase Book where there were 27 original poems paired with 27 original illustrations. Yeah. And so cool. though, though the artist and the poet work together to pair those poems and illustrations you know usually largely that that falls to, to pete as general editor and, and that kind of work of like physically combining the two and and the entire editorial staff making those choices of like mm-hmm. what art do we pair with what and occasionally occasionally we do get a poet artist you know a good friend of ours that we've published uh is a poet artist and she usually pairs her pairs her poem with our work for us but um I mean, it's it's an incredibly kind of arduous task in, in some ways. Sounds like it. Yeah. So uh, we had talked a, a little bit earlier about, you know, the relationship between, you know, how you frame, uh, actually use sonnet form and, and the idea of form. Are you familiar at all with uh, with George Shannon? Uh, with uh, Sorry, uh, with um, Campbell McGrath's Shannon. I, I apologize, his collection Shannon. It, it's about George Shannon. Um, he was okay. a member of the Lewis and Clark expedition that was lost for like 13 days. And okay. and what McGrath is doing in this collection is he's visualizing uh, Shannon's experiences in poetry. Well, there's a there's a, a poem in there, um, and all of these poems are untitled because they're just a series. But it's it's just the word buffalo printed out randomly um, on on the page. Other because you know as as we're envisioning in previous poems. Shannon, he's dehydrated, there's no food, he's lost, yeah. and he actually comes across all of these buffalo. So, I mean, I think that there's a very interesting uh, relationship to um, that, uh, the actual use of the page, because there's, how else would you represent? Because when you look at it, it actually looks like buffalo would be spread around okay. the, you know, the prairie. the prairie there, so it becomes cool. an interesting relationship. Um, have you ever kind of come across that, or at least uh, played with that idea of the relationship when you're telling that narrative as you seem to to, to do? Yeah, you know that's that's something I've never tried to do, like try to um, use physical shape um, with the words. I think it's cool when a when a poet can do that. Um, you know, the best poem should make you feel stuff, right? And and that can be accomplished in a lot of ways. 
Um, I like the idea of, of having the words like create shapes and that kind of thing. I also don't want to like give too much to the reader. Like I, I kind of want as many interpretations as possible mm-hmm. that can be from my poems, you know. Mm-hmm. And because I can only really people. write about my experience, I don't know how other people feel or think. So I can only write about me. Um, but in doing that, I think it should try to be as objective as possible. Um, but I, I mean, I like the idea. I think it's cool. I think there's a lot you can do with that um, if if you're gifted in that particular mm-hmm. uh, style. I'm not. I, I'm. I like the idea of, like, E. Cummings does that too, right? He'll have, like, different shapes with the words and that kind of stuff. I think that's cool. I've never tried to do it. Um, I just care a lot about the, the words I choose, and particularly the words I enjam, I think are really important. I right. really think about that. One of my favorite poets is uh, W.S. Merwin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, what he's so good at is making these lines that can go anywhere. You know, you have one line and the word, how it ends, can go in five different directions he takes you somewhere that maybe you wouldn't expect, you know, and if it if the next line is two spaces down or one space up, it doesn't really matter to me because the word does all the work, I think, you know? Cool. Hmm. Well, what else is there to say? I don't want to keep it, Ben. I, I have a final question. Oh, fine. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, well, I, I mean, a, a potential final question. 2016 was a rough year for everybody. Um, one of the one of the major one of the major crises that I personally was worked up about was um, the Brad and Angelina Jolie split up. Was, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, was, I, I mean, I was wondering, I was wondering your thoughts on that, and perhaps your greatest crisis throughout 2016. Or, uh, okay. yeah. Um, well, let's see here. 2016 was. I don't know. I you know a lot of people were upset at 2016. I didn't. I didn't have a real like existential crisis or anything like that uh, my wife's having another baby so that's good um, congratulations so like, you know, thank you 2016 to me looks it wasn't that bad um what did happen 2016 Brad um, and Angelina didn't get to you <laughs> it didn't affect me as much as uh, Gene Wilder's death that, 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 that got to me uh, <laughs> yeah right um, Kanye's financial problems got room, to me kind of oh yeah yeah sure yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I share a classroom uh, with another teacher, which I haven't done before. I thought that was kind of interesting. It wasn't really a crisis, though. It worked out okay. Um, so, I, I mean, I wish I could say it was a harrowing year for me, but it really wasn't. Uh, it, was, it was pretty good overall, I thought. So. Well, at least there's a positive attitude, right? That's, yeah. that's yeah, what's right. important, right? Well, let's let's right. keep that ruling into 2017 and maybe share those yeah. vibes. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, Ben, thank you so much for, for joining us in this Hey guys, I really hope you enjoyed that interview and conversation with Ben Pitts. Um, His postcard can be found on our website, redflagpoetry.com, and also on our social media, at redflagpoetry. I hope that you keep in touch with us and let us know what you think. Thanks.